Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. All right. Well, it looks like we are live, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, get us started. If you would um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Thank you for joining in. Um, I know that having church this way isn't anybody's favorite, I don't think, but um, we do thank God that He's given us the the technology to be able to meet together like this. Like I said, go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We are currently working our way through the book of Hebrews. Um, I've said before, that Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it shows the the connectivity and the cohesiveness between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And see, this book was written to Jewish Christians uh, to show that their faith in Jesus is greater than the religious system that was established in the Old Testament. It's a continuation of that, but it is a greater revelation of it. And so the the title of this series is Jesus is Greater. Uh, I don't know if it's showing up very well here on the video, but And the little white dot right there in the middle, um, it says is in there. So that's Jesus is greater. Um, Now, over the past few weeks, we've been walking through the author's argument that Jesus is greater than the angels. And so this morning's text kind of takes all that from the last three weeks and and sort of turns it on its head. This morning, the sermon is titled, um, Jesus is made lower than the angels. It's actually a question. Jesus made lower than the angels? Like, we've just spent three weeks talking about Jesus is greater than the angels, and now we're saying that Jesus is made lower than the angels? Something about that seems a little bit backwards. Um, The author does this on purpose. Um, The main idea is that, well, Jesus was made lower than the angels because, and that, that, that makes him greater than the angels because he atoned for our sin. And that kind of gets broken down into three um, sections. And we have the world to come, and then the world now and Jesus exalted. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus, and that we can read about him in your word. God, we thank you that Jesus is um, the greatest revelation of you that we have, and that, that we can learn about him and learn about you in your word. God, I pray as we open up your word that you will make us more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm actually going gonna, gonna to move my stool a little bit real quick because I feel like I'm going to block a little bit more of the text than normal this morning if I stay right there. All right, um, so we're going to go ahead and, like I said, we're going to get started here just in, we're going to start just with verse 5, all right? So verse 5 says, For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? That verse right there, just that first sentence, is a little bit confusing. Um, So what I want us to do before we dive into the rest of the text, let's kind of take this sentence apart and try to grab all of that that text right there and all of that understanding so we can can know what we're talking about. So our first clue here comes from this first word, for. Uh, This indicates that the author is tying what he's about to say back to what he's already said. He's tying it back to his previous thought. So he's, he's bringing this back in, back um, into the forefront of thought, um, the processes that, or the, the, the thought process that he laid out in chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, where he was giving evidence as to why Jesus was greater than the angels. So just to recap real quickly, um, uh, 
two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we said, um, we read where the author laid out this argument that said that Jesus was greater than the angels because they, the angels, were created to carry out God's will, and Jesus is God, therefore, the angels serve Jesus. And then two weeks ago, the argument was that uh, the angels are powerful tools in the hands of the master, but Jesus is that master. Therefore, the angels minister to carry out Jesus' will and to serve God's children. So those two sermons, those two sections of text, lay out this argument that Jesus is greater than the angels. And so where he brings in this four right now, it's just a continuation of that thought process. But what does the rest of that sentence mean? Again, like I said, we're going to take it apart. And the first part we're going to look at is this world to come. See, a core tenet of Christian doctrine is that this world is not our permanent home. This world is just a temporary dwelling place for us until we are reunited with God in paradise. See, we look at apocalyptic literature like uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation, and that shows us the end times. And because of those scriptures, we know that this world is going to be destroyed, and God will bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Well, we call it a new creation, where he will reign eternally as the perfect king over a kingdom of Christians who worship him forever. That is the world to come. But the author says that this future kingdom is not subjected to angels. So while God has entrusted the angels with degrees of administration over this world, the world to come will not be subjected to them. It will be subjected to the Son. So we've already said that the angels are powerful tools in God's hands, and he uses him to carry out his will here on earth. But the new creation will not be subject to the angels. Jesus will rule over his new creation He won't need any intermediaries to go between him and the the old creation, but he will reign directly over this new creation. It will not be subjected to angels, but it will be subject only to the Son. So hopefully that first sentence makes a little bit of sense now. And then the author goes in um, to, 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 to give us a quote. He says, but someone somewhere has testified. Well, I'm going to stop right there because that, again, that seems kind of an odd way to, to quote somebody. Usually, you, when you're going to quote somebody, you want to be very specific as to who you're quoting and, and what they said and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think right here, the author, he's being vague, but it's only vague to us. I think, honestly, he's being a little bit sarcastic. It's sort of like if you were in a conversation about uh, racial equality and racial justice, you might you know, say something like, oh, you know, I heard somewhere some, some, at some point say, um, I have a dream and go on to explain about a world where you know, people lived in racial equality. Well, obviously, you would be quoting Martin Luther King Jr. right there, and, and everybody listening would know that. I think the author here is doing something similar. When he quotes this psalm, we have to remember he has a Jewish audience, and that Jewish audience would be just as familiar with this psalm as we are with that quote of, I have a dream. So they would know who he's talking about. They would know what he's quoting. This quote would be easily recognizable for them. So he goes on to say, uh, goes on to quote some of Psalm 8. He says, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. Now, I think Psalm 8 is short enough that we can actually take a a quick look at the entire psalm. So starting Psalm 8, verse 1, it says, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. 
You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, of the, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. All right, now he's going to quote. This is that part that's quoted in Hebrews. Uh, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. So this hymn is praising God for the beauty of his creation and the power of God to create the world. So it's sitting there and it looks at all of God's creation. It says, wow, God, this is pretty awesome. And then it stops to marvel that God would take all of this beautiful creation and then make us more special than the rest. But not just to make us more special than the rest. Uh, even more than that, God has made humanity the administrators or stewards over the rest of creation. So to kind of paraphrase the whole psalm, right? it's, it's like saying, God, you are amazing. This entire creation that you've created is amazing. You've made me pretty wonderful too, but I'm not as amazing as you are. Are you sure you want to leave all this under my control? But I trust you, God, that you're making the right decision here. So then Hebrews 2 takes that psalm and kind of uh, takes the middle portion of that song and applies it to Jesus, who represents all of humanity in his life and death, and seeing, um, all, seeing in this references to his life and exaltation. Now, normally, this would be where I would take this psalm and kind of break it apart, or at least this quote of this psalm and kind of break it apart and explain how it applies to Jesus and what the author is trying to say. But the author does that for us if we just keep reading. So we're going to keep reading here in uh, Acts chapter 2, for, starting in verse 8, or the rest of verse 8. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that God's grace might taste death, so that, sorry, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. So the author of Hebrews here, he, he's taking this passage, and he sees, he says, as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. See, though everything is under Jesus' authority and nothing is outside of his rule, we don't see his authority fully realized here on earth. But notice the expectation. The author says we do not yet see everything under his rule. This indicates that this, there will be a time where Jesus' rule is fully realized. This is that new heaven and new earth that we talked about earlier and we read about in Revelation See, at that time, Jesus' rule will be fully established, and there will be no effect of sin anywhere in his kingdom. And see, that's God's design. That's the way that God designed this world to be. And that's the, that's the way that this world is supposed to be right now. God designed this world for us to be in perfect relationship with him, in perfect relationship with each other, and in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. But it's not that way anymore. It, it, we feel we live in this state of brokenness, and we feel this brokenness, and we long for something better. We know that it's not right, and, and we long for God's design in our life. We're in this state of brokenness because of sin in our lives, because we sinned, and we have taken ourselves out of God's design. Now, that sin is any time that we're not following God's will in our life. 
We can have sins where we're doing stuff that we're not supposed to do, or sins where we're not doing what we are supposed to do, or we can have sinful thoughts like lust and envy. Um, it's those types of sins that take us out of God's design. Um, and no matter what we do, we cannot work our way out of this brokenness. We cannot earn our way out of brokenness. And we cannot hide the pain of this brokenness. And any time that we try any of that, what we find is no matter what we do, we always find ourselves back in brokenness or maybe even further away from God's design than when we started. It's a painful cycle. And we recognize that because we are sinful, we can't fix our sinful problem. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. He was made lower than the angels so that he could take the punishment for our sins and he could reconcile our relationship with God. And all we have to do is believe in his life, death, and resurrection and repent from our sins. And once we do, then we can be, sorry, wrong button. Once we have believed and repented, then we can recover and pursue God's design in our life. That means that we are letting Jesus be the ruler of our lives. He is the Lord of our lives. And we live as, um, as members of that perfect kingdom. Even though that perfect kingdom is not fully realized now, that perfect kingdom will be fully realized in the future. And we take that perfect kingdom and we try to implement it in our lives now. We live as people of the gospel, following Jesus' rule and following his lordship and loving God and loving others. One day, when we will see God's design fully established in the new heaven and new earth. We try to bring that here now. But the author in Hebrews, he says, we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. Now this phrase, made lower than the angels, that's a direct quote from Psalm 8. It's saying that Jesus became human. He left his seat of authority in heaven. And according to Philippians 2.7, it says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He became man so that he could take the punishment for our sin. Though this was only for a short time. See, for 33 years, Jesus walked this earth as human, both God and man, together. Then the author continues. Uh, yeah, he continues. Um, so by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. See, Jesus was crucified. And he made atonement, uh, purification for our sins. He died so that we don't have to pay the penalty that we earned. He took our punishment. And now he is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He was resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven. See, to quote back in chapter 1, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was made lower than the angels for a short time so that he could atone for our sins. Since he has completed that work of atoning for our sins, he is now ruling in heaven. He is crowned with glory and honor because he atoned for our sins. So to tie this back to the past few weeks where we said Jesus is greater than the angels, what the author here is saying is that Jesus is greater than the angels. Even though he was made less than the angels for a short time, he's greater than the angels because he atoned for our sins. Jesus made atonement for our sins. He paid the penalty to reconcile our relationship with God. The angels didn't do that. The angels couldn't do that because Jesus is greater than them. Jesus is God, so he could do that for us. Therefore, Jesus is greater than the angels because he did something they couldn't do. He made atonement for our sins. So we get to our application this morning. And our application always comes from our definition of a disciple, 
which we get from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And from that, we get our three indicators of a disciple, and that's knowing, being, and doing. So where Jesus says, follow me, this, is, this means that the disciple has accepted the lordship of Jesus and accepted salvation through Jesus. That's the, the follow me part, and that's the knowing. And then the being is where Jesus says, I will make. And so the disciple is constantly being remade and transformed through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. That's the being. And finally, the doing is where the disciple is doing the work of Jesus. This is where Jesus says that the, that the disciple will be fishing for people. So our application from this passage, we always tie that, like I said, back to our definition of disciple and our three indicators of knowing, being, and doing. So this no application is to know that Jesus made atonement for your sins. Not just sins in general. Yes, Jesus made atonement for sin. But Jesus made atonement for your spin, sin. Jesus made atonement for your sin specifically. See, because of your sins, you are separated from God, and there's nothing that you can do to fix that. Jesus made atonement for your sins. This means that he paid the penalty for your sins. He left his position of power and authority in heaven and was made lower than the angels for a short time and was crucified as punishment for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. Then he was resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven and crowned with glory. Our B application is to be amazed at God's goodness. Now this comes through in two ways in this passage. First, it's in the quote of Psalm 8, which praises God for who he is, for creating a beautiful world, and for remembering us and, and placing us as administrators over creation. So be amazed at God's goodness, which is shown through his creation. But secondly, be amazed at God's goodness shown through Jesus making purification for our sins. This is what makes Christianity different from any other world religion. World religion. Any, all the other world religions teach some sort of self-actualization or merit-based salvation or some form of self-help. See, they recognize, they get something right. They recognize that we have a problem and that, that there, it's a huge problem. It's a serious problem. But all these other world religions say that it's something that you have to do to fix it. That's what makes Christianity different. Yes, we recognize that we have a problem. We recognize that it's a serious problem. This problem has separated us from God. But because... We are sinful, and sin is our problem. There's nothing that we can do to fix the problem. That sounds kind of sad, but Christianity is the good news. We call it the gospel, the good news, because it doesn't stop there. The story continues. This, it's, we have a problem. We can't fix it. But the story continues to say that Jesus has already done it. Jesus has already earned our salvation for us. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus has already done that for us. He has made purification for sins. And all we have to do is place our faith in him. And our due application is to glorify God. Now, again, we can use Psalm 8 as our guide here. We sing praises to God because he is magnificent. We sing praises to God because of his creation. We sing praises to God because he has created us. But also, give glory to Jesus because he has atoned for your sin. Give glory to Jesus by placing your faith in him. Cry out to him for salvation because he has made atonement for your sin. Or even if you've already cried out to him for salvation, continue to glorify him by following him as Lord of your life. Apply the gospel to every aspect of your life. Ask God to show you those areas of sin that you still need to turn over to him. Glorify God by making him Lord over your life, every aspect of your life. And glorify God by pursuing his design in your life and helping others to do the same. 
So our application points, again, is to know that Jesus has made atonement for your sin. Be amazed at God's goodness and to glorify God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you because you are a glorious God. We praise you because you have given us a beautiful creation that reflects your beauty and your glory. God, we praise you because you created us and you've given us your image within us. Because of that, God, we recognize that we have fallen, that we are sinful. But we praise you because you have already made atonement for our sins. So God, I I ask that you will help us to turn over every aspect of our life to you. uh, For us to make you Lord over every aspect of our life. To turn over every part of our life to the gospel. So that you can grow us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I want to thank everybody again for tuning in with us this morning. I pray that God had some message for you through this sermon. If he did, would you go ahead and hit that like button? If you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you don't want to miss any of our future videos or live streams, if you hit the little notification bell, it'll notify you anytime we upload a video or go live. Um, Until next time, remember, worship God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBC Hope Mills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.